Yeah. All right, uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 3, and um, I, I don't want to belabor this point, but this is sort of a bittersweet sermon for me because this will be uh, the last time I'm up in front here. Um, if you're new here, don't worry, not everybody's uh, moving away. Um, and I'm not the only pastor here, uh, so uh, Joe will be back in two weeks. Next week, we get to be blessed by uh, the ministry of Bill Allison, so you'll want to be here for that. He's going to be doing the sermon next week, and then Joe um, will be back in the pulpit on June 10th, so excited for that. He always sort of hates to miss preaching. I want you guys to know that that he really does love preaching on Sunday morning. Like, he's not kidding when he's like, I have the greatest job. You know, he puts his hand in the air like that. Um, but he really does care, and, and he really actually hates to, to be on vacation and not preach. I think if we're up to him, he would teleport back on Sunday morning and then teleport back out um, to his vacation. So, um, but, but the reason I want to say that this is, um, this is my last sermon is, number one, please continue to pray. Or for Darcy, Lucy, and I, as we get all the details of moving, going, you know, especially the sale uh, of our house. Um, if any of you want to buy a house, we can talk after church. Uh, shameless plug, I know. But but also, I want you to be praying for um, the next person. One of my goals uh, when I first came here, because because I've always tried to keep this at least in the back of my mind, is that anything I do. I want it to be be able to be built upon by the next person or by another person. You want to build stuff that lasts. And I personally have felt that I have done what I was called here to do. And one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul is talking about him and Apollos. And, and he says, I planted, but Apollos watered it. And, and that has always been what I've tried to do, is to plant things, to set a foundation, but that so a person who comes after me can build upon that and, and, and do the harvesting, do, do the pruning, all those things. So please pray uh, for whoever that person is. And you can say that, God, we pray for whoever's coming. Uh, we don't know him yet, but I'm sure he's going to be awesome. Um, I'll probably be Facebook friends with him. Um, I'll make you that promise. But so, so I want us, you know, please miss us, but also please welcome uh, the new person coming in because this is not, this isn't the end of the book. It's just the end of the chapter. And there's a really awesome chapter next. You know, we're seeing some really exciting things done. I mean, the, the, uh, the room in there, uh, that that's pretty awesome. And and just seeing things. I mean, remember talking about the driveway? And some of you thought you were going to have your funeral here before you got to drive the driveway. <laughs> right? But God protected this. He's protected it for 50 years. And he is going to continue to use this church as we continue to reach out to the community, as we continue to preach the gospel. And as we continue to be on mission, our mission to make disciples of those who are not already disciples of Christ. So, so please, please keep all that in mind. 
I'm going to get a little preachy today because this is my last time. And I don't, you know, <laughs> I can say things and then go and you guys can't be mad at me. But, um, <laughs> but, but please invite me back for the 60th reunion so I can also celebrate Joe's 15th year. I'll come back and preach for that. We'll make a deal with that. Um, and and the, the other thing I wanted to point out is that the verses that we're going to look at today, because I obviously wanted to be more about the Bible than me, um, but it's sort of a fitting, um, fitting way to have a last sermon. Um, as we read through it, you're going to see that this is a prayer that Paul gives to God for the Ephesians. And know that this was not because I'm really good at planning, okay? This is a total God thing, and that's the only reason I point it out. Um, But I hope as we work through it, you'll see that it's sort of a a fitting uh, time to to, to have my last sermon here. So let's think about Paul's prayers. We've already seen one before in Ephesians. And one of the things that we need to understand with Paul's prayers is, is that they are so useful. And sometimes we tend to skip certain sections because, well, he's not having any commands or any imperatives, so we don't really need to know that because, you know, we just want the stuff we can apply. Um, But Paul's prayers are so rich in our understanding of the gospel, our understanding of his ministry, how he understood his ministry, and therefore how we should understand our ministry. But most importantly, we see his priorities. Okay, uh, one of my, my favorite... Uh, professors has written a book called the priorities of of paul in his prayers and he looks at every prayer that paul does and you see his priorities because that's what he's praying for the things that he is choosing to pray for are are, is a short list and so it's like okay if, if he only talks so much in his prayers then that must be important and so hopefully today i want you to see paul's priorities that should be our own through this prayer but also know that this is my prayer for you that as we go, that, that I want to pray this prayer for you all. Um, and I hope you pray, pray it for me as well. And using this prayer to, to help us how to pray. How often do we try to pray and we just don't know what to say? But using our Bibles to help us pray, to pray for the important things, the things that were important to Paul and important to Jesus and therefore important to us. So uh, turn in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 14, and I'm going to read through verse 19. So follow along, follow along as I read. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the first thing I want to look at is, in verses 14 and 15, Paul is going to introduce his prayer. First thing we see is for this reason. We've seen this a couple times in Ephesians, okay, he is talking about because of what I just said, I'm going to pray for you. So what is this? This never gets old to say that in front of you guys, I know. Um, If you go back to chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, 
says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what is prompting Paul's prayer? The wonderful, culture-shattering, life-changing grace of God. The fact that not only Jews, but also Gentiles can be believers. Now, again, we've talked about this in past sermons, that, that it's hard for us to really understand that, but, but this was such a hard concept to understand that they had to have so many meetings about this. Okay, if you read through the book of Acts, you, there's certain parts where it's like, okay, they're talking about Gentiles believing again. It's like, guys, get the point. <laughs> but that's how hard it was for them to overcome. And it was such an amazing story of God's grace that all people can believe. So because of this, because of grace, and everything for Paul is prompted out of God's grace because God has chosen to show grace to us that that is so amazing that he has to pray. So how is he praying? It says, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, now what's interesting about this is that it's not abnormal for someone in Paul's time to kneel while praying, but it was more normal, the most normal way to pray was to pray standing. So the fact that he, he says something a little different, we, we need to help us understand. We need to understand what he's saying here. And here's what I think he's saying is when you're talking about kneeling, I think the picture that Paul wants us to imagine is God ent- is entering into God's throne room. Okay, with the picture of God as king. And when you come into a throne room, when you come before the throne of the king, you kneel. It's a sh- It's a sign of of worship, a sign of reverence, a sign of humble prayer. That this is the God to whom he prays, is the God who is king. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 12, it says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So the God that we can boldly and confidently enter into his throne room, because if you weren't invited into a king's throne room, you were going to die. Okay, you can't not elect these guys into office. Okay, if they want you dead, you'll be dead. Okay, there's no human rights back then. And so it's amazing that God allows us to enter into his throne room, not timidly, but boldly and confidently. And he's saying, I'm walking into this throne room. I'm speaking directly to the God, the king of the universe, on your behalf. Part of Paul's calling as a minister to the Gentiles was to intercede for them, was to talk to God on their behalf. Part of my job as your pastor was to intercede for you. Part of my job will continue to intercede for you even though I'm not here. So even though I'm a couple miles away, I'm still interceding for this church. I still want this church to be 
the witness to this community that it is. Sorry, you guys can't get rid of me that easy. But it's part of the ministry. And part of your ministry, even though different from Paul, there are similarities. Part of your ministry is to intercede for me and to intercede for each other. To intercede for Joe and the elders. For all the leaders here. That that is part of your job. To approach the king of glory on behalf of someone else. Now, now what is he praying? Uh, first of all, I'll actually look at my outline. Uh, to whom is Paul praying? Praying to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, this, this is a hard little, little part of verse here. What does it mean that every family in heaven and on earth is named? Here's what I think it means. Paul is presenting the Father as in charge of the whole world, the king to whom everyone owes allegiance. And they owe God allegiance. We all owe God allegiance because everyone owes their existence to God. In the Bible, when you talk about someone's name, it's closely tied, it's not just a title like it more or less is nowadays. But it was more at who you were. Okay, so Jacob is a trickster, and his name means trickster. Isaac, he laughed, right, because Abraham and Sarah laughed at God. Physical reminder of a spiritual truth. The name is, is so closely connected to who you are and your identity. But also, if you look in the Bible the act of naming someone or renaming them is an act of authority. So this is a picture of the power of God. So Jacob gets renamed Israel. Simon gets renamed Peter. Saul gets renamed Paul. It's an act of authority, but also after those encounters, they were changed people. So it's getting at their existence, and it's showing God's authority. So everything owes existence to God, and God has authority over everything. That's the God to whom we pray. We don't pray to some weak, impotent God. We pray to the God who named and owns everything. Let's look at the content of Paul's prayer now. He's going to make two requests and a summary request. So two requests and a summary request. Here's the first request. That the Ephesians be empowered by the Spirit. And we're going to be in verses 16 and the beginning of 17 here. Verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, or I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul asks God that he would strengthen them with power. To do what we need to do, we need to be empowered by God. God does not expect you to do what he wants without also empowering you to do so. So, quick point of application here is when we do hard things or things outside of our comfort zone 
Sometimes I think we're afraid, and that's why we don't do things. But we don't need to be afraid to serve. We don't need to be afraid to talk to someone about Jesus because we have the power of God behind us. And not some regional deity, but the God who named everything on heaven and earth. So how does he give out his power? According to the riches of his glory. God has limitless resources. God gives as only God can. God is generous. He's he's not a cheapskate. So when you ask for someone to be empowered by the Spirit, God will give out that power. It's like asking Mitt Romney or Bill Gates or whoever to buy you a soda at the gas station. Hey, Bill Gates, you got 74 cents I can borrow? He might. But even more. That when we ask for God to empower someone, that God will do it even more than we can think. We also need to see that God's power is given. It is a gift of grace to be empowered by the Spirit. This is one of the ways God shows his care for his people is to give them power, to enable them to do the work he has called them to do. So if God has given you gifts and talents, that's him caring for you because he's calling you to work. And he is giving you the ability to do that work. And that power, that power is into the very center of our existence, the very center of our being, the very center of who we are. Notice the repetition of inner being at the end of verse 16 and in your hearts in verse 17. The heart, the heart today is, is what we call the seat of emotion. So I love you with all my heart. Okay, back then, the seat of the emotion was your gut. So I love you with all my intestines. Or I love you with both my kidneys. Um, but the heart back then wasn't just about emotion. The heart was seen as the center of who you were as a person. The center of your existence. And so when this power is in the center of your existence, that we are strengthened to the very core of who we are. And we also see that this, this power at our center is, is, is Jesus at the center of who we are. This, this part's a little hard to understand, that, that when we're strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What, what does it mean that Christ is dwelling in our hearts? Here's what I think it means. When Christ is at the center of who we are, it's the most important place. And when the Spirit empowers us, Christ rules us from the inside out and transforms us into his image. So when we're empowered by the Spirit, it, it's the presence of Christ ruling us from the inside out. And there to change us, to transform us. 
So Paul's first request is that they be empowered by the Spirit. The second request is that they would be empowered to understand God's love. This is verses, the end of verse 17 and the, to the beginning of verse 19. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So Paul is praying that they would be empowered to understand God's love. How does that begin? It begins by being rooted and grounded in Christ's love. There are two metaphors going on here. Rooted, the idea of, 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 it's a gardening metaphor that you begin by placing a seed in the soil and then it grows from there. And then built or grounded, it would be used to talk about the foundation of a building. So it's built on the bottom, and then you build from there. So Christ's love for us is foundational. Christ's love for us is the soil in which we are rooted and the foundation upon which our lives are built. Everything for the believer begins with the love of Christ for us. So how do we grow in our understanding of Christ's love? Look at verse 18. May have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Now some of your translations may add at the end there depth of the love of Christ. That's probably what is meant there. Uh, sometimes in translations we have what are called ellipses. So where we need to add a couple words for it to make sense. And uh, if you have that, that's not a bad addition. Um, and, and you could make the case that that is to be assumed there. Um, but we need strength to comprehend the dimensions of Christ's love. So starting with Christ's love for us, we are able to study, to know, to begin to understand, to, to put the pieces together concerning the unfathomable love of Christ. Look at verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So he talks about studying it, but then he talks about how it, in some sense, it's beyond our comprehension. It's a love that surpasses knowledge. And so when we study, when we examine the love of Christ in our lives and is shown in the scripture, we begin a forever process of understanding God's immense love for us. So, so there's two parts to this process. One is we study what we can know. We study what has been revealed about God's love. Then the second step is that we understand that we're never done understanding because this love surpasses knowledge. We can look at the individual aspects of Christ's love, but we cannot fully wrap our minds around the whole thing. It's, it's a process that never ends. And I think this is a danger that believers can have, that we think we can be done understanding the love of Christ. And we get to a certain point, and we think, well, that's all there is. But according to Paul, that's not. So if, if you feel like that, 
If you feel like there's nothing left to know, let me challenge you this way. Teach. I think one of the best ways that we can grow in our knowledge is to have to articulate it to someone else because then you really know if you know it. Sometimes when you feel, and, and, and I would say this is the same, same remedy, if, if you feel just God's far away, if you feel like you're stuck in a rut, serve, teach, find somebody younger than you, okay? If you don't want to go to Sunday school, here's your job. Take somebody younger than you to Sunday school so that they can go. Okay, sometimes, sometimes the reason that we feel complete or we feel done is because all we're doing is receiving and we're not giving any of it back. And we forget that God's love is beyond understanding. That the full immensity of God's love is beyond understanding. Let let me say this. In, In the time I've been here, let me say that the younger people of this congregation, I've been able to interact with them Uh, quite a bit. The younger people of this congregation notice more than you think. Uh, You need to recognize that you are being watched and copied. What you value, they will value. How you act in church will be how they act in church. So you're teaching no matter what. So you might as well be intentional about teaching them. This leads us to the Summary request here. This is the main idea of the passage. When we are empowered by the Spirit, Christ dwells in our hearts, and we are empowered to grow in our understanding of God's love, we grow in maturity and Christ-likeness. So empowered by the Spirit growing in our understanding of how much God loves us, that leads to growth in maturity. And maturity here is the same thing as saying being more like Jesus. Look at the end of verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? It's it's to live like Jesus. Here's why I say that. Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20 says this. And he, this is talking about Christ, is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Verse, Verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. One of the things that Jesus did with his life was to show us what the Father was like, to give us an example of how to live a godly life. Paul wants the Ephesians, and I want us to live like Jesus, that every day we become more and more and more and more like Christ. Your number one priority in your prayer life 
should be growth and maturity as a disciple of Christ. This, this needs to be the number one priority of us as individuals and as a church. The most important thing in your life, the thing you value the most, needs to be Christ-like maturity. And, and that is my prayer for this church, that, that as a church, that as individuals, you would continue to grow into the image of Christ. Follow the chain. Follow the logic here. We're empowered by the Spirit. Gives us the power to do what we are called to do. And the fuel to do what we need to do is our understanding of how we did not deserve Christ's love, but he loved us anyway. So we're empowered to do it. We are motivated to do it by the love of Christ. And then we grow in Christ-likeness. And as we grow in Christ-likeness, we serve, we witness, we continue to grow because it's never done. That this needs to be our prayer, that all of it is leading up to Paul saying, look, you need to be more like Jesus. And that's what I'm praying for you, that you be more like Jesus. And that's what you guys need to pray for me. That's what I will pray for you guys. Let me conclude this way. Part of our passage I haven't read yet because of this reason. The conclusion to all of this is that God will fulfill this request. Look at verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is more than able to answer Paul's request. God will do even more than Paul asked for. When we pray this way, God will do even more than what we can think. Sometimes, sometimes I think we take this verse out of context. And part of the idea here of looking at the verses ahead and this is going to set the stage for the more application half of the book of Ephesians. This is a bridge to chapters 4 through 6 with deal how to live out the theology of chapters 1 through 3. Okay, if you want to study that, there's a pretty clean break, as with a lot of Paul's epistles. But when we think about God doing more, I think we're tempted to think about what we want. Instead of thinking that when, God, that when Paul says God will do more, he's talking about transforming them into the image of his son, into Christ-likeness. Paul is saying that God is more than able to do the miracle of transforming your life and mine. The miracle is to transform us to be more like his son. One of the conferences I was able to go to um, 
while I've been here, I was up in Chicago, and the pastor, the pastor who was talking said, how many of you here are under 40? So those of us under 40 raised our hands. And himself, himself, yeah, you're under 40. Good job raising your hand. Um, <laughs> and he himself raised his hand because uh, he was under 40. And he says, okay, guys under 40, the best thing that the Bible says about you is that God has time to change you. <laughs> and that's especially true for those of us under 40, doing my best to get there, but still there. But at the same time, it's true of all of us. That one of the miracles of the Bible is that God takes the time to change us. A lot of stuff about me needs to change. A lot of stuff about you needs to change. We're all in the same boat together. But God promises to make us into better people, into people more like his son. And that this is the God who deserves glory, worship, and praise. That, that we worship him because he doesn't leave us where we are. He accepts us as, as we are, but he changes us. And that needs to prompt us to worship him. That when we accept by faith that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us our sins, that's the first half. But it's also to make us into new creations. It's also so that we can be in heaven for eternity, face to face with God. That that's the miracle of the Bible. And that needs to prompt us to worship through our words and through our actions. Let me close with this. I, I pray that this church would continue to be its pla- a place where its members grow in maturity and Christ-likeness, and that it would continue to bring glory to God in the church and in the community. And as we pray this for one another, that just like I said with Chrissy, we're just going to see extended family for a while out in Seattle. But we're still a family. And that we still need to be interceding, interceding before the God of the universe, the King of the universe, for one another. And that we need to be interceding that each of us would grow more and more like Jesus. Because that's why we're here. And God is more than able to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that you do answer our prayers. That as we pray for one another, that we would pray that each one of us would become more and more like Jesus. And that the priorities you have said in Scripture will be our priorities. That we would use Paul's prayer here and prayers like it to pray effectively for one another. 
and that the most important thing you have would be the most important thing to us. And that as we are empowered by your spirit, with all the power we need, and as we are fueled, as we comprehend more and more your amazing love for us, that we would grow in Christ-like maturity, and as a part of that, help others to start that same process and to come alongside them. God, that we would point people to you and make more worshipers of you as we grow every day as disciples. This in Jesus' name, amen.